Oh my God! The exclamation left the lips of Lieutenant Commander Jonathan Hunt without conscious thought as he braced himself for the impact. He was standing right at the front of the bridge of HMS Chester, the Royal Navy's newest Type 22 frigate. At five and a half thousand tons and almost five hundred feet in length, it was pushing it to call her a frigate. Most people seeing her for the first time would have compared her to a wartime cruiser. However, her size seemed unimportant to John as he looked out of the bridge window. The bows slammed down into the next oncoming wave. He looked up and could only see a foam-streaked wall of grey, dirty water. The sky was completely blotted out. His knees buckled slightly as the bow shook and started to rise. Suddenly, nothing could be seen as a great shovelful of seawater was thrown backwards over the bridge by the rising bows and vicious wind, hitting the glass with a sound like a thousand bullets. For a few seconds the bridge windows might just as well have been under water, until the overworked windscreen wipers cleared the view again. Now everything was blue, as the bows pointed skywards for a second, before they started their inexorable descent into the next massive trough. All around the sea was almost white, with spume being blown off the tops of the waves and streaks streaming along forced by the hurricane-strength winds. As the ship came level, the captain called to the quartermaster. Steady, Johnson. This looks like a big one. The petty officer who was steering the ship wasn't using a wheel. Instead, he had a small, almost toy-like joystick. Normally, the ship would be steering herself, but not in these conditions. Human reactions were needed. As the ship teetered downwards again, the quartermaster found he had full port wheel applied, and for a second nothing appeared to be happening. The bow was still swinging to starboard. For a second he thought he had lost it, and was about to shout that he needed the engines to assist him when the bow steadied. To be caught sideways in the trough of one of these massive swells would mean disaster, even to a warship of this size. They could be toppled over like a child's toy. So, Flight Commander, how are your little babies down in the hangar? asked Captain Peterson in a conversational tone, as though nothing untoward was happening. John grimaced and braced as they slammed into the next wave. Well, sir, the whole flight team are there. I don't think I've ever seen so many lashings on two helicopters in my life. The Lynx is taking it quite well, but the Sea King doesn't have such strong undercarriage, and its centre of gravity is much higher. That's the one we're concentrating on. But thankfully all seems well so far. Good. You might be amused to see this, then. He handed John a paper signal to read. John studied it for a second and then laughed sarcastically. Oh, how nice a fleet to send us a strong wind warning. We told them what was going on six hours ago. Quite, but not really unexpected this time of year in the middle of the Atlantic. I'm just surprised they didn't see the depression forming and warn us. What's the wind speed now, by the way? John looked down at the anemometer dial. The needle was pegged all the way around to the stop it usually rested on when the wind was calm. The gauge only read to sixty knots. Assessing the gap to where the needle was stuck, he made an estimate. Uh, something over eighty knots, sir. Quite a breeze. Indeed, but the barometer has just started back up again. So hopefully the worst is over. Yes, sir, and going to operate where we're going is always risky, but the dangerous season is six months from now. I never expected a hurricane on the way over in winter. 
nor did any of us. The captain was interrupted by a door slamming behind them. Paul Tarrant, the ship's first lieutenant and second-in-command, came into the bridge, dripping seawater from his foul weather gear. "'All good on the upper deck, sir,' he reported. "'The cutter was working loose, but we've managed to get some extra lashings around her. Otherwise, we're in surprisingly good shape. A couple of bent guardrails, nothing more.' "'Good. Well done, number one. At least now it's daylight. We can see what's going on.' The first lieutenant looked over at John. "'No flying, then, flight commander?' I'm surprised you're not in your pit. Standard air crew procedure, surely. His wry smile belied his words. Ah, number one, I tried that, but it rejected me. Literally. It's a real bugger to wake up when you're two feet off the ground and about to hit the deck.